The following shear was delivered by Rabbi Yehoshua Sova, Morad Asra of Congregation Sha'arei Ezra of Miami Beach, Florida, and has been brought to you by the Base Havad Halacha Center. For more information about the center or for halachic services and resources, please call 1-888-485-VAD or visit thehalachacenter.org. This week's Parsha, Parsha's Mitzvah, discusses an element that seemingly, upon first glance, doesn't look like it's a big deal. But upon further inspection, it actually teaches us a very sadistic rule that Amit Hashem, upon deeper exploration, speaks to every single one of us every single day. And that is when the Mitzvah brought the Karbanos attributed to him, and that was the Tzipurim that he had to bring. And we all are familiar with the Medrash that says that just like a Tzipur, a bird, chirps incessantly, and this person who is a Baal Lashon Haro, he, said, he or she said Lashon Haro about someone that drove a wedge between different families. Just like the bird chatters incessantly, so too he has to be makra of this tzipor as a way to atone for him acting like a bird as well. The problem is, if you look a little later in the Pesukim, the Torah tells us, V'shilach al pnei You will take a tzipor and you will release it out into the wild. Now, this is a very interesting part of the carbonus that the Mitzari has to bring, because normally carbonus have to be done that there's a shechita, there's zrika, and maybe there's some achilo. There's something involved that is part of the process of having a kaparo. Usually it has to do with kaihana being involved and being in the Mishkan or the Beis HaMikdosh. And yet over here, the Torah seems to tell us that you take a bird and you capture it, and then you release it out into the wild. How does this affect kaparo? And what is the simon for the Mitzvah to learn from that? So the Chizkuni, he comments on that. And he says that a possible allusion for why the Torah tells us that you have to capture a Tzipar and then you release it out into the wild is to hint to that this Mitzvah was sort of caught and he was put in a prison, sort of a solitary confinement. And just like Amidah Kenegan Mida, the Mitzvah caused great harm and pain towards people and, and making them live in solitary confinement by the various Lashon Hara, that this Mitzvah said on others. So by capturing this bird, you signify that you Mitzvah are like that bird that was in captivity. And now when you release it, you release it out into the open, into the wild, you now are free, so to speak, you Mitzvah, you're no longer a Mitzvah anymore, you're a regular human being, you can now function in society, and hopefully you learn to your lesson. We wanted to say a little more of a bear, more of an explanation into what the Chizkuni is saying, which is based on a Gemara Nechulin. The Gemara Nechulin tells us that a bird is sort of a hybrid from what HaKadosh Baruch Hu created in Bria Sa'ilam, because animals, it seems like they were created from earth, and the Dagam Shebayam, all the creatures of the sea, have some element of ocean or some element of Mayan towards them. However, a bird, if upon closer examination, you will find that a bird has, no matter what the species is, whether it's the Rav Eifes, which are Ksheris, or the 24 Tmeis, which are enumerated in Parsha Shmini and Parsha Sur'e, they all have that on their feet are very scaly legs. And the scales represent that of, like, a fish. And the Gemara tells us why is that Kadosh Baruch Hu made it that the birds have scaly legs. The Gemara tells us because the birds were created min harakak, min apakak. They were created 
from the mud. Now, what does that mean? So the Mefarshim explained that what that means is it's a mixture of both earth element and water element, a mixture, a fusion of the two. So we were thinking then, possibly an allusion to why Kadosh Baruch Hu specifically chose this kapara for a mitzayro, is because just like a bird is a fusion of two different worlds, a person who's a mitzayro unfortunately saw someone or some situation very two-dimensional. They didn't realize that there's a fusion, there's a bigger picture of going on, going on here. Just like a bird is a fusion of two different worlds, so too people are fusions of two different worlds. And you, a person has to take into account that there's a lot more that meets the eye or a lot more to the story than they perceive. And the way we reinforce that is we specifically take a bird and we put it in a captivity and then we release it by saying, now, just like this bird is a species that we now have released and it goes, what does it mean, that a field has so much potential. It could be a sedei lovon. It could be a wheat field. It could be a stay kerem, it could be a vineyard, it could be a possibility for ditches, it could be a place that you could build a palace, it could be a place where multiple things could happen. That's the point. The point is, is that so much of a person of what they do has so much potential, and you, Mitzayra, you should have realized that by having this bird, this bird symbolizes there's something above and beyond what you perceived. So we see, say in the Torah, we'll send this bird out onto the field for you, Mitzvah, to have this symbolic gesture to remember that just like you recognize the pain and suffering that you suffered at the hands of your Lashon Hara, and now you have a Kapara, remember that people are like a Tzipar as well. They're a fusion, and they're there's so much potential in every single person. Hopefully if a person recognizes that, they'll have a different perception of what they view and hopefully have a better reaction or perception of people and they won't be able, won't be speaking Lashon Hara, but Fakir the other way, they'll look around and say that what the people are doing is actually Latayv, it's something that's good. We'd like to pivot from this idea of what you see that a bird in essence is sort of its own Bria. A very good friend of mine, Rabbi Yehuda Spitz from Yerushalayim, he printed a fantastic book from Mosaic Press entitled food and halachic analysis. And he has a fantastic machlekes where he brings that there was a story that happened in a certain yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael that one Friday night they broke into the yeshiva kitchen and they wanted to have a little tayamel, they wanted to have a little taste of the, the Shabbos Michael. And they started scooping out the chalun from the pot and then they had a question, could they put the pot back onto the fire source, because I don't think they were worried about the shalom being hot or warm, they just didn't want to get caught. So it was more of a practicality of not getting caught, excuse the term, but red-handed with the shalom pot, and people would realize that there's something missing, so they had a real problem if they're allowed to return or not. What was the issue? The issue was the following. We know that when it comes to the hilchas of Bishel, the Torah enumerates, out of all the 39 malachas in the Torah, the Torah tells us that there's only one of the 39 that melacha, which means mastery over an item, as opposed to avaida, which means just manual labor, as Diane Grunfeld in his book, uh, The Sabbath, comments. And melacha of Shabbos has to be that you're showing that I'm the owner. But really, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the owner. And that's why we're saying you don't do melacha on Shabbos. So there's only one of the 39, and that's 
The Torah says you shall not ignite a fire in your dwellings on the day of Shabbos. Now the Tzedukim, who they had Torah Shebech Kipshutai, they only learned Torah Shebech they did not learn Torah Shebech So they held that the Torah says don't make any fire. That means no fire, which means you have to sit in darkness, you have to have cold food. Any fire, even if it pre-existed from before the onset of Shabbos, you cannot partake of, or anything that has any fire that is, that's associated with it. However, we have a, a Kabbalah, and that's why we have the French food known as Cholant, which means slow-cooked. It's slow-cooked from Arab Shabbos through Shabbos. So the, the, the Michael of Cholant is to show that we are affirming that we have, not like the Tzedukim, we have a Kabbalah that you could, as long as you have, that something was cooked prior to the onset of Shabbos, it, it's something that we could benefit from, just like we could have benefit from lights that are on before Shabbos as well. So what was the question, getting back to our story with the Bachram? The story was, is that when it comes to Helchus Bishel, you have to know that something that was not fully cooked and somebody promotes the item to get cooked on Shabbos is over the Malacha de Raisa of Bishel. You mamish cook this item on Shabbos. Now, you're going to argue and say, well, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I was just continuing the process. Or I was speeding up the process. The Torah looks at it as you speeding up the process as if you literally put a coal, you literally put a fire, and you were igniting it on Shabbos itself and aiding in the process of making the item cooked on Shabbos, and you'd be over on Melachat So what does this have to do with chicken? So the question was like this. The only time we say that something is considered nisbashel, is if there's still items that weren't fully cooked. Meaning, if the item is not fully cooked yet, and you aided and abetted in the process, now we say that you were over the Malachadir Isa. So, the question went as follows. If you have, let's say, something which is like chicken bones. Now, chicken bones, are they meant to be eaten with the chalant or not, or just to give a little flavor, a little tam? Ramesha Feinstein held that chicken bones inside the chalant are not really to be eaten with the chalant. They're just to give it a little flavor. And therefore, since they're just giving a little flavor, Ramesha says that you would be allowed to do chazara even if no one realizes that the bones are soft yet and they weren't fully cooked yet. Because the bones of the chicken are not really part of the chalant. In other words, Ramesha was going, ascribing to kind of to what we were saying before, which is that the chicken is a min bifne atzmai. It's its own species, it's its own breed. And therefore, if that's the case, then we say that the chicken inside the chalant is not really like a part of the chalant. It's its own flavor, if you will. And we don't really care if the fact that the, there's chicken in there, if it was cooked or not. However, Rabbi Shleim is Arbach. He argues vehemently against Ramesha's sock. And he says that... If you have uncooked chicken bones inside the chalant, at least it should be an iser der to do chazara, because by putting it back, that's a psik resha, that's an act that's inevitably going to lead it to a forbidden result, and therefore you're cooking something on Shabbos, because people eat chicken bones on Shabbos. Now, why this is very fascinating, at least I believe it is, is that there's also a machlekis between Ramesha and Rosh Zalman about ketchup, also regarding Ketchup with cholent. Ramesha Feinstein held that hot cholent with ketchup is permissible because he says they're both solids. That's a chiddush, he says. 
However, Rabbi Zaman argued, and he said, what do you mean solid? He says, ketchup is a liquid substance, and you're putting a liquid next to the solid. The liquid's going to get cooked up very easily. It's uh, from Kale Abishal, something that's going to get cooked very quick, uh, very easily. Therefore, you cannot have chalent next to ketchup, because the ketchup's going to get cooked very easily. So the question is, are they really arguing or not? So I heard an interpretation that said that actually they were talking about two different ketchups. We all can remember, or at least you can speak to people who are a little older, they can remember. I remember vividly when I was a kid that Heinz ketchup bottles in America were glass and they used to advertise that anything slow is worth the wait. And they used to have a ketchup bottle being held upside down and you people would wait with anticipation as the ketchup would slowly ooze out of the bottle till it went on to whatever serving, whatever condiment it was for whatever item it was. And uh, the ketchup was quite thick. And they were very proud of that. They actually advertised on that until some geniuses in Heinz said, people don't have time for that anymore. We've got to make a squeeze bottle to just push it out. But really, the ketchup of, of America flavor is a much thicker substance than that of Eretz Yisrael. The Eretz Yisrael ketchups, even to this day, you look at many of the products that they have, it almost looks like it's tomato juice. It's very liquidy, just with a, a little squish of the button. It, it comes out very, very fast. And some people say that Ramesh and Rabbi Zalman weren't really arguing Be'etzim. They were not arguing in the halacha of ketchup, if it is allowed or not, to be mixed with chalent. What they were really, in essence, uh, discussing were two different items. Ramesh was talking about a thick form of ketchup, and Rabbi Zalman held that it was a thin type of ketchup. So again, it's a machlekes and mitzis. So the same thing also, we're going to extrapolate also over here, when it came to the discussion of the chicken bones, are chicken bones actually part of the cholent or not? So Reb Meisha held, like what many American boys would hold, which is if you're going to add some cholent, it's got to be meat, it's got to be some flavoring, but having some chicken, eh, yeah, that's not necessarily going to do anything. It's it's not really adding, it's... Uh, it's not, it's, it's parv, if you will. I mean, it's obviously flacious, but we're saying in terms of what it's adding to the flavor of the cholent, it's not necessarily, um, as they would say, my little, my little. it doesn't bring it up, doesn't bring it down, it's just, it's, it's occupying space inside the cholent. However, that no, in Eretz Yisrael, since every morsel of food is something that people would want to eat, so Rav Shalom held that the chicken inside the cholent actually serves a purpose, and it's part of the cholent. And therefore, if it's not fully cooked, Rabbi Shalom would hold that it would be usher to do chazara if a person didn't have all the three tanoim of biyad, miyad, and daite lachzar, that a person was having in mind it had to be in a semi-precarious situation. Obviously, if it's in a dangerous situation, you cannot put it there because chazshom, it could tip and hurt somebody. But we're talking about that a person is holding it in a way that he knows he's going to put it right back and he's dishing it out and then he wants to put it back as well. In regards to the question of if the Bachram were allowed to do that ethically, because the fact of the matter is Yeshiva obviously wants Bachram on Shabbos Day to partake of that. So a fascinating tshuva from the Tzitz Eliezer and Ravad Yosef, they held that when a, when a Bachram does a Dvar Mitzvah, something we consider like it's a Lutzerich Mitzvah, we say that a person would be allowed to take from this item and... Uh, they even say that Lutzerich Mitzvah, some Svarisha Haiskim uh, say, the Ben Ishchai and Chacham Ben Tzion Abishol in Arlitzion, they say uh, that uh, if a person w- wants to actually take the item 
directly from the fire, Chazal say if it's L'Tzorech Mitzvah, it's considered for a mitzvah, you're even allowed to take that as well. Some people argue with that. They say it's not really considered Einik Shabbos, or is, is, is it really a Tzorech Mitzvah or not? But the fact is, uh, very clearly, the Tzitzel Yezer and Ravad Yosef and Yabi Aymer, they say very clearly it's considered Tzorech Mitzvah for Bochum to have their chant on Friday night, on Shabbos, to have Kayach to learn more. Ravadi says that what could be better than Bachram learning more? Obviously, why else are they eating Chalant on Shabbos? It must be that they're doing that in order to be able to have more Kayach to learn. And that would be an amazing, amazing endeavor for them to do that. I, quote-unquote, they're stealing from that. People know that Bachram are hungry and Bachram are going to find an Eitzah to try to find something. Like uh, they say, that the reason why Yeshiva Bachram are are so good at doing what they do is because uh, the yeshiva gives a rule, they give a challenge, and then uh, Baruchon find that out. A friend of mine one time told me he saw a sign that on the sign it said, no Bachor shall take two hot dogs. Baruchon should take only one hot dog. So there, there one Chevraman, he just put a few commas and a question mark, he says, no Baruchon should take two hot dogs? No, Baruchon shall take uh, more than one hot dog. <laughs> it is like a tzivoy. You just switch it around. Bachrum gives a They find an eitzah for that. So also over here, in the terms of this question specifically, if the bones were not fully cooked on Shabbos, we have machlekes between Ramesha and Rosh Zalman. If a person is allowed to do that, and like we were stating, that extrapolating from what Ramesha said, that it's like a min bifnei atzmai. This chicken is its own bria. It's its own its own element, and therefore because it's its own element, we say that you could. Leave it in the chalent, and we don't make it. It doesn't make a difference if it's cooked or not, because the people don't really care about that. However, Rabbi Zalman held that there at least is an isidir abana, and if it's not fully cooked, because people actually like to eat that, they hold the bones are edible, and they would like to eat it. They like to suck on the marrow from the bones or eat the bones itself, and therefore, in Eretz Yisrael, it would come out that for some people they would say you cannot have it. In Eretz in, in America, where they would not care about the bones of the chicken. You would be able to partake of it. What would be an interesting shiloh would be is if let's say you have American Bachram in an Eretz Yisraelic Yeshiva, can you ask the American Bachram to give an Eretz Yisraelic Bachar to partake of that bowl? So that goes into a shiloh about the mashal we find like by Yom Tashini, if a person is allowed to ask, uh, if a chutznik is allowed to ask an Eretz Yisraelic to let's say do different items for them that are clearly violating Yom Tashini or not. Some people say you should say as B'dach Ramiza. Some people say no, you shouldn't do B'dach Ramiza. Some people say that it's, it's a zilzal for Yomtif if you do something like that. I mean, Eilav Eilav Tivelekim Chaim, it seems to go both ways. But the fact of the matter is, what you see from here is that when it comes to the chicken bones inside the chalent, there are some people that say it's a min mifnei atzmai, and some people say no, it's part of the chalent as well. So we thought this was a very fascinating extrapolation between about whether or not we say chicken is a min bifnei atzmai, and since it's a min bifnei atzmai, we would say the same thing also over here, that the chicken is its own brio, like we said, you'll send this bird out onto the field, signifying that a bird is its own min bifnei atzmai, and we have to look at people with open eyes and see them for who they are, understand that everyone is a min bifnei atzmai, they're their own unique creation, they're Baruch Hu created everyone unique, everyone different, 
And in that Tzchus Mitz Hashem, when we're able to look at people and see that there's much more that meets the eye, and Mitz Hashem will be able to fly higher and higher in our Avodis Hashem, and to see the bigger picture, and to see everyone for who they are, and what they could accomplish. The Beis Havad on the Parsha series has been brought to you by the Beis Havad Halacha Center. To reach the Center for Halacha Consultations, Service, Educational Seminars, or Media, please call one 485 vad That's one 485 8223 To sign up to the BHHJ, the Beis Havad's weekly interactive e-journal, please visit www.bhhj.org or you can email us at office at the halachacenter.org.